Never mind. Sorry, it's just really bothered me. Um, <laughs> we don't celebrate Easter just for one week. You know, whenever I was a kid, Easter was just like, you know, the eggs, you know, the Reese's, you know, the, the dinner. You go to church, you dress up nice, and then that's it, right? And we don't really talk about it that much longer. But actually, on the, on the church calendar, there's seven weeks of Easter. There's seven weeks. Uh, never mind. Sorry. Okay, anyways. So... The point I'm trying to make is that we're going to continue to talk about Easter. We're going to continue to talk about the resurrection. We have been, and we, we should talk about the resurrection every Sunday, amen? Because every Sunday that we gather as believers is another remembrance of what Jesus has done, amen? If it were not for the resurrection, the Apostle Paul says this, if the, if the Lord Jesus Christ was not resurrected, then everything we do is in vain. Everything that we do, all the, all, the, all the preaching, all the teaching, all the singing, all the gathering, all of it's in vain if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But he did, amen? And because he did, we have purpose here this morning. We have a reason to be here. We have a true hope, a blessed hope, a, a real reason to gather together um, and to sing. You might be like, why are all these people you know, raising their hands and shouting and all this kind of stuff? You know, why are they so happy? You, know, you might think we're weird, but I think you're weird. I said that on Easter Sunday. You know, I think you're weird because you're not happy because Jesus has completely changed the way that we view the world. Completely changed the way we view the world because of the resurrection. It's good, good news. Good, good news. Obviously, Easter has come and gone. I'm going to continue to talk about it. Um, today, we're going to look at a couple of resurrection accounts um, of the risen Christ and, and basically how, you know, how Jesus interacts with his disciples after the fact, you know, how Jesus inter interacts with his disciples after his resurrection. Bradley talked about in his message last week about Jesus after his resurrection with the apostle Peter on the, uh, on the beach, making them breakfast, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at two different accounts from Luke and John. Before we get into that, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for just this gathering that we have together as believers, the time that we can spend together, uh, Lord, in worship, the time we can spend together in word. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning, Lord, that you would change our hearts, that, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would truly change us by the power of your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this morning that we would have an encounter with you, Lord, that, that things that we do this morning would not be just this temporary moment, but, Lord, for life and eternity, Lord, that you would impact us in this very moment, this very time together, Lord, that we'd be transformed transformed, uh, as, as the word says, by the renewing of our minds, Lord, that you would change us and mold us, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Have you ever had someone in your life who always comforted you, no matter uh, how mad or sad you were? You always have that rock, that person. Maybe for you, it's your spouse. Maybe if you're younger, maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's a grandparent, that person. Maybe it's a best friend, someone you can always go and talk to whenever you're feeling sad, whenever you're feeling down, whenever you, you just got to vent a little bit. You know, your boss is being a jerk and, and you just need to go, you just need to go let it rip to somebody. You know, you just need somebody to go talk to, somebody that's going to comfort you no matter what. Um, we always need those people, those sources of encouragement in our life. Because if we're honest with ourselves, life is not always great, right? If we're being honest, I, I, I hate the, the style of church that, that pretends everything is peaches and cream all the time. It's not. Life is not great all the time. Pastor Bradley already said it. All things are not good. He works all things for good, but all things are not good. Life is not always great. Uh, but we need sources of encouragement. We can get that through other people. But how many of you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our greatest source of encouragement? Amen? He's the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. He's the one that's always by our side, always uh, wanting to encourage us and lift us up, as the psalmist said, to lift us up out of the pit. How many of you have been there? You've been in the pit, and you know the Lord encourages us and brings us out. 
Amen. Well, the scriptures we're about to read, we're going to start with Luke 24. We're going to see the Lord Jesus do this uh, as he always does with us in our lives with these disciples here. We're going to be talking about Luke 24, uh, verse 13. I, I don't believe we have it today, but you're just going to have to follow along with me. Luke 24, 13. This is after the resurrection, the same day of the resurrection. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened there the, fast, the, the past few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man of, from Nazareth, they asked. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have liked to have a Bible study like that with Jesus? By the time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Amen. From Jerusalem, it's very well, thank you. It's very well uh, possible that as they're walking away from Jerusalem, they're kind of. Jerusalem, if you know anything about Judaism, is the center of all of the Jewish faith. It's, it's, you know, almost metaphorically, they're walking away from the center of their faith. They're walking away from everything they had known in their time with Jesus. See, these disciples were not just guys that knew Jesus for a couple hours before he was crucified. They spent the last three years with him, learning from him, sitting under his teaching, going through, seeing all the miracles, seeing all the things, right? These were good Jewish boys that, that understood that the Messiah was supposed to come and was supposed to recognize Israel. And so as they see Jesus performing these miracles, they're like, 
is this the guy? Is this really the guy? We see this a lot in John chapter 1. They're all, they're all kind of the, kind of just talking to one another. Not really gossip, but the word on the street, the, the word is getting out. You know, there's this guy, Jesus, and he's performing these great miracles. And so hope is rising amongst the disciples all throughout the ministry. And there's even moments up until the end where they even doubt. They're like, is this the guy? You know, they, they want to know, is this the Messiah? Is this the one sent by God? And so to, this morning, I really want to put ourselves in their shoes because they had great, great hope for Jesus being the Messiah. And so whenever Jesus is then arrested and then crucified, all of their hopes and dreams are shattered. Have you ever had your hopes and dreams shattered? You ever had something go wrong in your life, extremely wrong? This wasn't just a personal thing. I mean, this is a religious thing. They, were, they, they felt like betrayed by God in some sense, like God let them down. They, they, that they thought this was a guy sent by God but it turned out that he was, in their eyes, you can imagine what they're thinking. He must have been a fraud. He must have been fake. He must have been just, just another guy, you know. All those things he said about him being the way, the truth, and the life, not true. All the things that he said about him being the resurrection and the life, not true. All the things that he said about him being the only way to the Father, not true. You know, the Bible says here in Luke 24 that they had sadness written across their face. Sadness written across their face. And they're carrying the weight of this moment of what happens whenever everything goes wrong. You ever been there? You ever been there? What happens when everything goes wrong in your life? When the marriage didn't turn out the way you wanted it to? When the doctor's report didn't come back the way you wanted it to? when the bank account has uh, a, a minus sign in front of it, right? You've ever, anybody been there? Uh, whenever the numbers are red, not green. Whenever the child that's supposed to be born isn't. Whenever the family member goes through the, a family struggle and you're not talking to your family for years, whenever addictions grip with your family. How many of you have ever had things turn wrong in your life? If we're honest with ourselves, every single person here has had these moments these disciples, Cleopas, um, and the other one is not mentioned by name, are walking along with this weight of their best friend just being publicly murdered and executed in front of the whole town. And then Jesus comes along. The very one that they're sad about comes along. In this moment of complete pain and sorrow, Jesus comes along. Jesus meets them in their darkest moment. Jesus meets them in this moment of extreme pain and of extreme sorrow. Jesus meets them whenever they are walking away from Jerusalem. You could say it like this, and I've heard it said like this from uh, Jonathan Martin. He said that God meets them on their way walking away from God. They're walking away from Jerusalem, which is where the, where, where the temple was, where all of, all of the center of Judaism was. They're walking away from everything that had just happened, and God meets them there on that road. Jesus comes to us, even in our most disappointing moments. How many of you know that's true? You all raise your hand that things have gone awry in your life. But as believers, this is where we really get into the nuts and bolts of things, right? Right? 
The Apostle Paul says that we, we do not mourn as those who have no hope, that even whenever we are in our most darkest times, even whenever we're in our deepest times, even whenever the doctor report does not come back good, whenever the marriage is not going good, whenever the addiction is not broken, whenever the things in our life that we want to go a certain way don't go that certain way, even whenever hell itself comes facing us, we know that we have a great hope because Jesus meets us even in that darkest moment. And what happens, what happens to us in that darkest moment? We can be like the disciples and say, weren't our hearts warmed when we talked to him? Were our hearts warmed whenever we were in his presence? That Jesus has this very, very special way of meeting us even in our most vulnerable times, even in our worst of times, even whenever the cancer hits our body, even whenever the financial situation goes south, even whenever you file for bankruptcy, Jesus has a special way of meeting you in that moment, in your darkest moment, whenever you feel the most alone, whenever you feel the most discouraged, whenever you feel like there's nowhere to turn, nobody to go to, Jesus is there and Jesus will be your provider and Jesus will meet you in that moment because that's the God that that we serve, right? That's the God that we serve. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. He's with you this morning. He's with you this morning. It's really amazing how the Holy Spirit does these things. I didn't even talk to Jesse about the song choice, but every song that we sang this morning, especially the last two, Waymaker and Jira, are talking about a God who keeps his promises, who meets us in the middle of it. He's more than enough for you. He will meet you in your darkest moment, and he will be sufficient for you. What does the Apostle Paul say? In his conversation with Jesus, he asked Jesus to take the thorn out of his side. And Jesus tells him, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. What's the old, uh, what's the old Sunday school song say? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Um, little ones to him belong, for they are weak, but he is strong, right? You do ever do the actions, right? When we're in our weakest moment, the strength of God comes in. Whenever we are in our weakest, weakest moment, God's strength is sufficient for us. Amen? Maybe you felt betrayed. Maybe you felt like you're on this path before in your life. And, and I don't know anybody's situation here specifically, but I do know that in life we go through these situations. And when you could be going through that situation right here this morning, this Sunday. What I want to tell you is that Jesus will meet you this morning that Jesus will be sufficient for you, that Jesus will, will take care of your needs, that Jesus will reveal himself to you in a very special way. Something to note about this account is that, and this is how Jesus always works, right? Jesus does not just come along with our problems and just boom. He doesn't ever just boom, get it out of the way because Jesus is not your genie, okay? Sometimes I think we, we get that misconstrued sometimes in church, you know, uh, you know, that God is able to do anything exceedingly and abundantly all above what we could ask, think, or imagine, right? That's Ephesians 3.26. We know that Jesus can do anything, but because we know he can do anything, we ask him to do everything. Because we ask him to do everything, we want him to do it like this. But do you notice how in the story, before Jesus actually turns their day around and actually warms their hearts, he has a conversation with them. We're talking about a seven-mile journey. That's a pretty long talk. He talks to them. He talks to them. He talks to them. I had the privilege of preaching to the youth on Wednesday night, and the whole sermon was about how God wants to have a relationship with us, how Jesus is not just a, a Sunday obligation, but a relationship to have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Jesus wants to be involved in our lives all the time. And the scripture I used to back that up with them was uh, Revelation chapter three. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If you let me in, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna berate you and talk about how terrible you are. No, I want to eat with you. I wanna eat with you. And a lot in, in this day and age where we're glued to our screens. Watching TV, watching Netflix all the time. The idea of eating at a dinner table has been long gone, right? But back then, to share a meal with someone wasn't just to eat good food. It was to have fellowship. It was to have conversation. It was to, it was to have a relationship with, one, with someone to say, I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to know what's going on. Like, what's going on in your life? You know, how are things going? How's the family? How's this or that, right? And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us because if we do not have that kind of relationship with him, if we're not, if we're not eating with him, so to speak, to use the table analogy, if we're not having that relationship with him where we're, we are communing with him, where we're communicating with him on a daily basis, then whenever we go through these times in life where we're facing these hard times we don't know where to turn right and sadly a lot of people will turn to the world whenever they turn to the world we know what happens with that that's not fulfilling nothing is ever going to come of that that's fulfilling but we have that daily relationship with God we can turn to him and we know that he hears us the Bible says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted the Lord is near to the brokenhearted amen he's with you in your hard times so we have this story in Luke 24 with these disciples that are sorrowful. They just experienced this terrible moment of crucifixion and they witnessed it. And Jesus meets them in it and he turns their night into day. He turns their sorrow into warmed hearts. He saves them. He saves them from that moment. And he'll do the same for you. I now want to move over to John chapter 20 because Jesus didn't do this just one time, okay? Jesus doesn't just rescue people one time, but over and over and over again. John chapter 20 is the text I preached from on Easter. And whenever we talked on Easter, we talked about how uh, the garden and Mary Magdalene and all this kind of stuff. But I want, to, I want to dive a little bit deeper into John 20 because in John 20, this theme that we're talking about this morning of Jesus meeting you in your darkest moment, of Jesus meeting you in your pain, happens not once, not twice, but three times actually. Three times. And so I want to go through all three of these moments uh, this morning and talk about them. In John chapter 20, after Jesus is resurrected, we talked about this on Easter Sunday, but we'll talk about it again. He meets with Mary Magdalene. And outside of the tomb, Mary Magdalene is there and she is crying. She is weeping. She has tears uh, coming from her eyes. And many times in our lives, we have many, many tears coming out of our eyes, too. We have times of, of, of just great, great sorrow. And Mary Magdalene is going through this moment of, of worry. She thinks that Jesus' body has been kidnapped. She thinks that Jesus has been uh, taken somewhere else, right? And so she's crying. She's weeping. And what happens? Who visits her right there in that moment of her crying and her weeping? Jesus. Jesus, have you ever sat alone in your bed at night crying, wondering, how are we going to do this? You know, like, where's it going to go from here? Jesus meets you in that moment. 
Jesus meets you in that moment of that pain and that sorrow. Whenever you don't know what's next, you're so frightened of the future, you don't know where to turn from there. Jesus meets us in those moments. He met Mary Magdalene whenever she was crying outside the tomb. The resurrected Jesus has a very, very special way of coming to you in your pain, in your sorrow. Whenever you don't know where else to turn, the resurrected Christ has this very, very special way of coming to you and comforting you. Comforting you. And the best part I love about this story, listen to this. The resurrected Jesus comes to her when she's crying, whenever she's heartbroken. And he says, Mary, Mary, Mary. When nobody else in the world knows your name, when nobody else cares about you, whenever nobody else, when the world's forgotten you, whenever everybody else has pushed you aside, whenever everybody in your life has left you for dead, whenever everybody has pushed you aside, nobody cares about you. If you're like, nobody hears you, nobody knows your story, nobody wants to talk to you, nobody wants to listen to your, to your grief and your complaints and all this kind of stuff, Jesus does, and Jesus knows your name, and he'll call you by name, and he'll come to you in your night, and he will meet you in your pain, and he will meet you in your sorrow, and he will turn your night in today. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth of the gospel that even if nobody knows your name, God knows your name. And he calls you by name this morning. He says, you are my child and I love you and I want to care for you. I want to, I want to bring you to the fold. That's what we talked about this morning. If he dresses the lilies, if, if he cares for the sparrows, how much more does he care for you as his child? He knows you by name. He knows you by your name this morning. That's an amazing thought that the creator of the universe, the one who put the stars in the sky, galaxies that are unfolding further and further before our eyes. We don't have telescopes to, to see how far the galaxies go. That God that put that into place knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. And if you put your life in his hands this morning, that he will lead you and he will guide you and he will put you on the path to where you need to go. Jesus comes to you and he knows you by name. That's an amazing truth. That's an amazing truth. I was, I, was, I was talking to the kids about this on Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm a preacher. Bradley's a preacher. But sometimes when we talk about the things of God, there's this little part that we get into. I can't even put it into words how it makes me feel to think that God knows my name. It leaves me speechless. There's, there's not words to describe that feeling to know that God truly knows me and he knows you. He wants to have that relationship with you. Whenever Mary is in the situation of crying and sorrow and pain and grief, Jesus says, Mary, calls her by name and he'll call you by name. We have to listen for that voice, amen. So then later on in the chapter, we get down to... Uh, Sorry, verse 19, 19. I do believe I have these up here, yeah. Uh, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Bible says that they were afraid. They were afraid. How many of you know that our lives are oftentimes gripped by fear? Gripped by fear. Fear of failure. Fear of what other people might think. Fear of circumstances. Fear of the unknown. 
fear of um, simply just, I already said it, but fear of what other people think. That's really one that really grips a lot of people, right? Fear of death. Fear of disease. Fear of facing the unknown, right? The Bible says that these disciples were gripped by fear. They were afraid. They were afraid that the Roman officials, they came for Jesus, they're coming for us too. They were afraid that their, their lives were in danger, that they were gonna be, uh, meet the same end that Jesus did. They were afraid that they were gonna be crucified, that they were gonna be killed, that they were gonna be tortured. They were afraid. The Bible says they were gripped with fear. They were afraid, afraid of the Jewish leaders. And what happens? You can already guess, we read it. In the moment where they're the most afraid, in the moment where they're facing uh, this fear, whenever they're facing the unknown, when they don't know where to turn, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. Are you catching a pattern here? Are you catching a pattern here? Jesus shows up when they're afraid, when they don't know where to turn. They're afraid of their, for their lives. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of facing this torturous end. Jesus shows up and what's he say? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace. How many of you need a little bit more peace in your life? I know I need a little bit more peace in my life. We get so stressed in America. Did you know that antidepressants are, are the number one prescribed drug in America? Antidepressants. We have so many people that, that are stressed. We're stressed. We're so stressed. How many of you in here are stressed? I'll raise my hand. We're stressed, right? We're stressed. I was praying it this morning. Uh, Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. How many of you need some rest this morning? I know I need some rest. We need some peace this morning. We need the peace and the rest of God to come over us. A lot of times in our life, we're gripped with fear, and we're gripped with stress, and we're gripped with the future of tomorrow. But Jesus comes to us, and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Can you imagine being in that room? You know, I believe when Jesus speaks, things happen, amen? Whenever Jesus speaks, things happen. And you could probably imagine just the fear just melting off of them when he said, peace be with you. And he'll do the same for you, amen? He'll do the same for you whenever, we are in our, whenever we're in our struggles, whenever we're in our stress, whenever we're in our moments. And, and maybe, maybe this morning you're hearing me and you're like, man, like I don't have anybody in my family that's going through addiction or I'm not facing a bad doctor's report. Or my financial situation's pretty good. You know, things are going pretty great in my life. But everybody's hand in here went up when I talked about stress, right? Everybody's hand in here. Everybody goes through stress. Everything, everybody goes through things on the daily basis. That's why I talked about that daily relationship with God is so important because even when we go through the most minute circumstances, even the smallest of things, God cares about those situations just as much as he does the big ones. God wants to be involved in every single aspect of our lives. So when we're going through things, when we're going through the, just the trenches of daily living, you know, your job sucks. Your family, you know, they're getting on your nerves, you know, your, your life. It's just, you know, it's not terrible. It's not in total upheaval, but it's just like, eh, you know, I'm not very satisfied. Jesus wants to come to you and speak peace over you, contentment, peace be with you. What a statement. Think about it. In a room full of followers who are full of grief and sorrow and sadness and stress and chaos. I mean, they've been through a lot in the past 48 hours, 72 hours. The first thing the resurrected Christ says to them is peace be with you. He speaks peace over them. 
I'm being a little redundant this morning, and I'm, I'm really looping back over and over again with this theme because I want you to get it. Because as often as we sit in these church pews and we come and we worship Jesus, we just don't get it sometimes. I don't get it sometimes. We try to do this life thing on our own. We try to live our lives by our own terms and our own standards without letting Jesus speak over us, without letting Jesus consult us, without letting Jesus speak his word of peace over us and comfort over us and and speaking the Holy Spirit over us, which gives us the strength and the power we need to live life. We don't allow Jesus to do these things. We need to let him in to our lives. We need to sit back and say, yes, God. Yes, God, whatever, whatever you would have. Allow him to speak over your situation this morning. Okay, my last scripture here, the last encounter. And this one might be the most powerful of all. In John chapter 20, verse 24, one of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hands into his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Isn't it cool? Jesus can go through locked doors, right? So I want to stop right there real quick. Thomas wasn't with the others. He didn't see the resurrected Christ. He didn't see the miracle. He didn't see Jesus the way that the others did. He didn't see Jesus in the same light the others did. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, Maybe you're sitting here in this place this morning or you're watching on Facebook and you say, everyone around me seems to know Jesus in a different way that I do. Everyone around me talks about Jesus and they, they go and they, they worship Jesus and, and they talk about Jesus you know, as if he's so special and all this kind of stuff, but I've just, I've just, I just don't get it. You know? maybe, maybe you're just a little bit of a doubter. You're just a little bit of an unbeliever. You say, I wanna believe in Jesus. I wanna I want follow Jesus. I, I like the idea of Jesus. I like the idea of Christianity. I like the idea of following Jesus, but I've just never had that moment. I've never had that encounter. I've never had that experience with Jesus that all these people talk about. All these people talk about, I hear them talking in church about how he raised them up out of the pit, how he, how he took care of them, how he intervened in their life, but I've just never had that. That's Thomas here. These people are talking about an experience that he has never had. They're talking about the resurrected Jesus is back. He's back, man. Like, we've seen the Lord. He is resurrected from the grave, and Thomas is like, y'all are lying, you know? You guys, are, you guys are straight lying to me. You know, don't play with me like that. You know, somebody ever said something, you're like, don't, don't, don't do that to me. No, don't play with me like that. But they're really telling the truth, you know? telling the truth, but he hasn't had that experience. And a lot of times in church, people can sit in pews or they can watch services and they can feel like they're within, but they're also without because they haven't had that experience. And maybe you're here this morning and you like Christianity, you like God. The idea of God sounds amazing to you. Like Jesus sounds like a really nice guy. Sounds like a wonderful person, a great savior, right? You, even, you might even believe he's the son of God or the savior of the world, right? But you haven't had that experience. You're like Thomas. You're kind of standing on the outside, right? You're, you're kind of just looking in at the situation and, and saying, yeah, God sounds cool, but show me something. Show me something, God. Oh, man, you got something coming for you. The, the, the apostle Thomas, doubting Thomas is what we call him, comes I'm going to read this again. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. 
Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your finger into the wound in my side. Do not be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. What happened was Thomas was within. He was, he was part of the disciples, but he was also without. He had not had that experience yet. But I want to tell you that if you're in this place, and maybe you had an experience 20 years ago, but you're saying, God, my life has been a little dry. My experience with you has been a little dry. I don't know if you're still with me. I don't know if you still have your blessing over my life. I don't know if the anointing is still there. God, I just want to see you. I want to experience you. I want to feel you. Like, I know I've heard a lot of great things. All the other people at the River Church are having a great time. I mean, they're praising God. Guys, you know, you're really showing yourself to them, but I want to experience it for myself. And what happens is Jesus shows up to Thomas and he says, here, experience it for yourself. Put your hands in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Experience this. Experience it. And I want to tell you, if you're in this place, if you're in this place and you have not had that experience with God yet, you're going to have the opportunity to here in a little bit. And the Bible says that you will seek me and you will find me whenever you seek me with your whole heart. And if you have not had that experience yet, keep seeking him because he shows himself. He is not that far away. We sang it this morning that God has never been closer than he is right now. He's never been closer than he is right now. God is, it's been said that God is closer to you than your own soul. He intricately made you and he intricately knows you. Seek him and you will find him. Thomas went to that place, and Jesus met him there. And he said, look, look, look at the holes in my hands. Look at the holes in my side. He doesn't rebuke Thomas for lack of faith. He does say, don't stay faithless any longer, but he doesn't rebuke him when he first talks to him. What's he do? He invites Thomas to enter into the mystery of the resurrected Jesus. How many of you know that God is a mystery? God is mysterious, man. I, I mean, listen, the Sunday school days of, of a very simple idea of God, they got to go out the window. Whatever God is, God is near and God is love. That's the two things I know. But God is also, whatever God is, very mysterious. I mean, even in the, even in the Gospels, Jesus is the incarnation of God, yes? Every time that Jesus is talking, they think that they figured out what he's saying. And then whenever they think they figured out what he's actually saying with his parables, he says, no, this is what I actually meant, right? He's confusing. He, they don't understand him. And a lot of times we don't understand God and God is mysterious to us, right? But I know this morning that he is near and that he is dear. And what he does, what the resurrected Christ does is he invites us to enter into this mystery, to enter into this relationship. And it's a walk of faith and it's a walk of trust that God, I don't know everything. I don't know everything, God, but I trust you. I trust you this morning. And you got to think, that's what Thomas was thinking. Like, man, this is pretty wild. There's some holes right there and, you know, there's, they're not bleeding or anything. You know, I mean, that's, this is pretty wild, right? This is, you gotta, they're probably, this is crazy. Like, this is a little mysterious. Like, this is wild. I don't know what to think of this, but man, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. And in life sometimes, Things happen. And God, it seems like we don't understand. Like we're all cattywampus. Like just things in life are just all over the place. Very chaotic, very hectic. But how many of you know God is not the God of chaos, right? We can trust in him even in the chaos. We can trust in him in those moments. And he will lead us and he will guide us 
into a better future. He'll lead us and guide us through the storm. So what does this mean for you? Let's bottom line this. These stories have everything to do with your life. Everything to do with your life. These stories that we've talked about today, the road to Emmaus, the three, the three stories in, the, in John chapter 20, they have everything to do with your life. You are human. I am human. We are all human. We live every day in our humanity. No matter how far we go, no matter how far away we want to get from it, we can't. We strive. We have pain and suffering, and they're very real, and they come our way. We face, we face death and disease. We face hardships and trials. It's part of the human condition. We cannot remove that, no matter how far we want to run away. But however, what we see in Jesus is not a God who is far away from our pain and suffering, but a God who has entered into our pain and suffering and he has conquered it from the inside out, amen? Jesus shows us that God is not far away in our suffering because he has been through it and he has triumphed over it and because he's been through it and he's triumphed over it, he will lead you in victory and triumph over your trial, over your pain, over your sorrow, over your faithlessness, over your doubting, over whatever situation you're in, whether you don't know where to turn, whatever's going on in your life, whatever pain, and sorrow and grief you're going through, the resurrected Christ will meet you and he is near to you because he is near to all of those that are in pain and suffering and he loves you and he wants to call you this morning by name and speak peace over you. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm 34, 18. The disciples went through hell. They went through this gut-busting pain. They went through the worst grief they'd ever been through when their best friend was publicly murdered and executed. And that's the point of today's sermon. God will always show up in your darkest time. God will always meet you in your darkest place. And maybe he has already in points in your life. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He lifted you out. Maybe you're in the dark place this morning. I want to tell you that he will speak his peace to you. The psalmist says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. He is with you, preparing a table before you, guiding you, leading in you, and guiding you through the moments, through the pain and the sorrow of life. As we go through these times, it's hard sometimes. We can say, God, where are you? But as we go through these times, the most important thing is to trust, to trust in him. To trust, trust. My uncle has a little thing. Um, it's like a, not, it's like a picture, like a picture frame. And on, in it, it's not a picture. And in it, it says, "Trust me, I've got this all under control." Dash Jesus. Trust him. He's got it under control. Trust him. Trust him this morning. Trust him with your marriage. Trust him with your kids. Trust him with your finances. Trust him with your medical report. Trust him, trust him even in the hard times. Trust him whenever you, you say, God, I don't even know how you're gonna do this. Trust him. Trust him in the face of death. Trust him in the shadow of death. Trust him even whenever you don't want to trust him. 
Reach out to him this morning and place your faith and your trust in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask if, uh, if uh, Jesse and Isaac will come back up and we're going we're gonna to enter into a time of communion. You know, it's interesting. Uh, in Luke 24, in Luke 24, how did the disciples experience Jesus? When, when did Jesus reveal himself to the disciples? In Luke chapter 24, the, 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 Jesus revealed himself to the disciples through the breaking of bread. Through the breaking of bread. And this morning, we're going to be breaking bread. This morning, we are going to be sharing in communion. I want to say that again so everybody catches me. In Luke 24, Jesus revealed himself to them through the breaking of bread. When they sat down to have communion together, not in the religious sense, but communion, sharing a meal together. And this morning, we are sharing a meal. What is the meal? The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. As we partake of this, I know oftentimes we do this every week. We do it every week because it's so important because we, what is a church if we forget about what the body and blood has done for us, amen? What is, what is church? What are, what are we without the body and blood? We're nothing. And so we must constantly fix our eyes on the body and the blood. We must constantly fix our eyes on what Jesus has done for us. And so this morning, we are breaking bread. This morning, we are sharing a meal together. And just like the disciples, Jesus revealed himself to them in Luke 24. Jesus revealed himself to them in the breaking of the bread. I believe this morning, I talked about if you haven't had that experience yet, I believe supernatural things can happen this morning. Amen, does anybody else believe that? I believe that supernatural power of God can happen this morning, that your life can turn around in an instant, that God can reveal himself to you, and I believe that he will if you seek him. I believe that he will if you seek him, and when you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. I believe this morning that just as Jesus broke the bread in Luke 24 and revealed himself, that this morning as we break bread, he will reveal himself, that he will show himself to some of you, that he will, he will show himself to you and he will reveal himself and he will speak to you. Just like the disciples said, peace be with you. He said, peace be with you. I believe that he will speak that over you this morning as we share in communion together. Amen. I'm gonna ask if John and Pastor Bradley will pass around the communion. And as you get it, just wait and we'll take it all together.